Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Lucas and Vincent were not in the mainstream of gay life. I uh, was saving body parts such as uh, skulls. Doesn't it bother you that he's a fag? You have done me a great service. Now I must service you. And the drugs were, were always a, a cry for attention, for somebody to pay attention to me before I, you know, kill somebody. <laughs> You can imagine what it smells like if you go into a closed room. Something is trying to get inside my body. Yeah, she's female and she's waiting for you in the cabana. And you want to sleep with me. Buckle up, sodomites, and welcome to the Sinister Sissies podcast. Your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man-on-man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity, staring at the beautiful face of my filthy little slave, Sam Hamilton. Lock me up, Daddy. He's been plying me with wine tonight. I have. So I... He's had literally one glass. That's not true. It's been two and a half. Okay. <laughs> and I do feel a little buzz coming on. I'm just saying. Well, today's uh, a bit of a slightly sad day. Uh, not as sad as what the next episode's going to be. Uh, we have a little announcement. It's the penultimate episode of Sinister Sissies. We are ending the podcast uh, in one more episode's After time. this episode, we're going into the grave and <laughs> you're all going to like fill in the soil. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit sad. But but I'm going to put half a hand out of the grave because I'm going to okay. do it. Sam's di- going to keep going. I'm going to do a different horror theme podcast next year, which we'll talk about that later because today's about... Us, Jared. It is. It's about, you know, uh, the end of an era. I it suppose. is. The end of a, a sissy, homoerotic, homosexual era. I love that you still avoid the word queer. In your new podcast, are you going to use It'll the word queer? It'll be all about being queer. <laughs> not as much as that show we're reviewing about coming kind of talk, reviewing next episode. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll save the critiques for that. So Coming um, soon, a lot of queerness. Sad news, uh, but... Uh, we have a good episode for you today. We are doing two different bits of media. But also, sorry that this year has been so disjointed. Oh, yeah, look. <laughs> okay, part of the reason that we're ending it is uh, clearly we cannot commit to the old schedule. <laughs> it's a lot harder in this, you know, post-pandemic or pretending the pandemic isn't existing worlds to... We're fancy, busy people, Sam. Clearly. 
Yes, well, unfortunately, I'm just poor and having to work <laughs> often six days a week, so it makes it hard to... It's uh, hard to do your little podcasts. Yes, if we had, like, some servant who um, I would, thought you would meant... drink Jared's blood and then edit the podcast for free, that would be great, but unfortunately... I thought you were thinking of some sort of sugar daddy to pay for the podcast endeavour. I mean, either or. Um, <laughs> so I'm we could quit our jobs. That would be nice if anyone's really to, to have some twink that, like, wants to, like, drink your blood and then, like, use that energy absorbed. That is my experience. Spend yes. six hours editing. <laughs> well, okay. The, the episode today, though, is uh, two bits of media. We have... It's a fucking horrible title. Dharma dash monster, the Jeffrey Dharma story, which is the new Netflix series, which is causing a lot of controversy. And also just Hellraiser. Just yeah, Hellraiser. Just Hellraiser. Keep it simple. Hellraiser, the, uh, this year, are we using the term requel? Is that what we do now? Well, I, well, I mean, it's meant to be a reboot, but I would say it could just fit in as a sequel, really. Yeah, they don't contradict anything No, so previously. You, you could just like see it as canon, I yeah. think. So a requel. I'm going to call it a requel. Uh, so Hellraiser 2022. Uh, but let's start with Dharma. Here we are. Home sweet home. Babe, I love you so. Oh. Oh, what is that smell? Dharma is created by Ryan Murphy of American Horror Story fame. And Jared's favourite show of all time, Scream Queens. (laughs) So Sam and I have been like messaging about this project for quite a while. I think you sent me first when it got announced that... Yeah, because I'm like, Jared's going to (coughs) be so excited, but then so pissed that Ryan Murphy's involved. I was was so fucking cynical about this. But this is perfect for Ryan Murphy, because his thing is that he does a great first season and forget... Like, he loses traction because he gets too he always has too many projects on the go i so my my initial wariness about this is that i thought he was going to be cutesy like, like fun dharma yeah and like the series is not fun i'm i'm actually it's one of my biggest shocks of 2022 and trust me i've had a lot of shocks in my life this year that this has been like one of the most popular netflix series ever and top 10 most popular ever and it's so bleak, so morose, so slow moving, and just so visceral. Like it's, sorry, I'm slurring, but I said visceral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's like not something I can imagine appealing to the masses. But even the sandwich girl at work was like, "I love this show Dharma." Do you know what? I loved this show Dharma. Well, I, I I was not expecting it at all. I came in with the lowest of expectations, and I really, really enjoyed it. See, I found it difficult to watch because I, fe- I felt like it was it was very bleak. And it's incredibly I, bleak. And I didn't learn anything new. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. So, that's that's a fair enough criticism. See, you I, haven't... You didn't get all the way through, though, did you? I didn't get all the way through, but I was just finding this a little, like... Too it, much. But also, I wasn't really... I wasn't... Like, I thought Evan Peters did a great performance, and I yes. thought the show was well-made and definitely captured all the things that I kind of expected it to. But at the same time, because 
I'm a serial killer enthusiast anyway. I wasn't like really learning anything. I feel like if I was an outsider, which so, is why everyone loves this, they didn't know about Jeffrey Dahmer. So the first half, absolutely that. The first half of Dharma is it's it's just the crime. Like so we we know the crime and then it goes into the trial at a certain point. The the kind of second half takes an interesting turn that I wasn't expecting. There's a lot of I don't know if you got to the episode about uh, one of his victims who was deaf. Well, that was the big critically acclaimed episode. Yeah, so there's a whole episode where like it's largely done through sign language, and I thought that was incredibly well done. Um, and then afterwards, there's kind of the the political fallout. You know that there were these police officers that uh, ignored this crime for a period of time. Um, there's lengthy discussions about uh, Glenda Cleveland's life, who. It, it should be noted, Glenda Cleveland in the show is not necessarily that representative of Glenda Cleveland, the person, but she she did go through a lot of shit. Um, and so I think th- I thought that was was quite well done as well. But yeah, I I mean I um, I like bleak horror, um, and so I enjoyed the the first half of it, and then I did like that the weird socio political turn in the end. Well, look, I can't comment on the very end because it didn't make it that far. Yeah. I felt like I thought it was very well made, very well acted. Everything about it was like, I don't know, maybe I found it too difficult to really attach myself to it because it felt so close to reality in a lot. Yeah. In a lot of it, not all of it. Yeah. But I think a lot of it, it was just kind of like, this is really like distressing for me almost because it was so, it's actually a compliment to the show because it wasn't. Hollywood it wasn't stylized. It there was, was no stylizing at all. No. I mean, it was like visually stylized and yeah. stuff, but it wasn't like most of these serial killer adaptations take a lot of liberties and they try and almost add in like sus- like suspense and almost a sense of like camp or something. Yes, that which is re- classic Ryan yes. Murphy, which, which is what I was worried which about. Which usually removes like the tension. The, yeah. The tension. But yeah, this was just like so tense and it really, yeah, it actually really rattled me watching it. So, I mean, kudos to Ryan Murphy. He well so so i i think the reason i like this is like he was the showrunner but he didn't direct he only directed some of the episodes yeah i think and it was written um by the a lot of them were written by this other guy ian brennan who i think wrote for glee yeah i think he's written with ryan like a number of times yeah including on shows that you've hated probably yeah so I, i mean both of them it's a bit of a surprise for me that i enjoyed what they made um so yeah, I, th- I thought it was relatively well made. I mean, I think there is a criticism that like, does this story need to be retold again? And then, I mean, the biggest controversy has been uh, the victims' families. Mm. Well, yeah, I know, and I know that has been a big thing. Like the sister of one of the victims when Rita she, Isbell. Yeah, and she was like, that was like literally my word for word. Like that's quite, weird quite that testimony. they did that. Yeah, that was my outfit. Like it must. I can't imagine what it would be like to see like your most traumatic memory like completely replay back to you like that. Yeah. But at the same time, I suppose it's not, maybe not a good thing. But the show, like we were saying, it wasn't really taking that many creative liberties. Like that is really what happened. So if, yeah. you, if if people are wanting to watch a reenactment of the crimes and the trial, like especially that aspect of it, you are getting like a play by play. Yeah. I think a um, a journalist that was involved in the original investigation, she compared what was depicted versus real life. And her only criticisms were, 
Uh, Glenda Cleveland didn't live next door to Jeffrey Dahmer. She actually lived across the street. And so that character, I think, was meant to be... What's the word for when they do that? But, like, the, one character is representing a bunch of different people Yeah, in the I know story. what you mean. I can't remember the term. See, he's got me drunk. I've lost my, <laughs> my limited memory and intellect is gone. But, so, yeah. So, she's, she's representing a number of different characters in that role. Um, and then the other thing that the journalist said... Uh, the journalist now works for the police in a communications role. She said that... It was wrong for them to depict the cops as being as racist, racist and homophobic as they were. I actually thought that the cops could have been depicted way worse. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> as in, they weren't. Not that as, it was a good depiction, but I mean, because obviously, like in real life, they're not going to be a complete caricature. No, no. Um, and I, it did wind back a bit. I think it could have been much more caricatured than it was. Mm. Um, but, but, but like, they were her only criticisms about the difference between. Uh, real life and the depiction. But I guess that raises the debate of, yeah, like, why does this show exist in the first place? Because it is essentially, like, yeah, 80% of it is, like, a play-by-play of what happened or what we... Obviously, the murders and stuff, we can never know exactly how they unfolded. But I guess a lot of the series is really just... You could read an article and it's kind of like watching, like, a really, like, high-budget, well-acted well, reenactment of the article. I will say I did an interview uh, with ABC Adelaide last week and the 50-something-year-old radio presenter had never heard of Jeffrey Dahmer before. Well, I think a lot of people haven't. People are like, I know someone, someone older in my life who was sending me like live reaction texts. I'm like, I can't believe this. Yeah. And so, I mean, it definitely, I guess it grabs people because they just didn't know that this happened. Which is very weird to me. And that people could be capable of... I guess it really does feel like a horror movie, but, like, it's real. So people are kind of, like, taken that, like, people are into, like, cannibalism and reanimation experiments, things like that. Like, and it's, you know, this has really happened. There's, so, that thing about the family backlash, there's been a lot of, I don't know, the takes, I understand what people mean when they say the family should have consented to this. Mm. Um, um, But the reality is, like, with any kind of violent crime, if a production company approaches the victim's families, 90% of the time, they're going to say, no. Yeah, it's a tough... And then what do you do? It's a tough one. But I think that, like... See, my thing would be, if there were unearthing things that weren't already in the public arena, I would be like, this is a little bit wrong. Like, you should be, like, consulting the family. And I still think they should... I would never be able to ethically make this show myself and not consult with the family. So I guess I couldn't make this show, could I? But... Like this stuff is already. But if you really passionately wanted to make this, and the family refused, would you just dump that idea? I would, because I wouldn't be able to look back on it. Okay. And like in a in a positive way, I guess. Yeah. I, I would just see the whole thing. It would kind of like it would soil it for me. Yeah. But the, my devil's advocate side says that everything that's disclosed here, you could like I already knew about. Like you can like you yeah. could. Sure, it's like giving that awareness to a larger audience but it's not like it's taking like the best kept secrets of Dharma's crimes and putting them on a pedestal like these court hearings and stuff like that you could access all that information anyway yeah so I'm not it's it's, it's a tougher one personally I, I wouldn't feel comfortable making this content but like it's it was out there already I think the where I've kind of ended up is that if what you're making is like authentically good expression then it's justified even if the family doesn't consent and in like the the polar opposite example that i can give and i used this in an article recently 
is um, The Haunting of Sharon Tate. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> those kind of movies, like the one with Hilary Duff as well. Yes, that so the, that, that, that is The Haunting of Sharon Tate. And there's Tate. that other one, Wolves at Your Door, where yes. they're like taking liberties with the story. And it's... So The Murder of Sharon Tate by the Manson family in both of those films. So in The Haunting of Sharon Tate, have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I just know Hilary played Sharon Tate. It's played by Hilary Duff. Uh, she has psychic dreams of her impending murder. The murder is depicted fully and graphically on screen. And then afterwards, everyone meets in heaven. Okay. I definitely don't need to. I kind of do want to watch it now. But (laughs) things like like that, it's kind of like you're... Like you can't justify that film. No. And same with Wolves at Your Door. I think a lot of people are like, what's the I haven't seen that one. I wasn't aware of that. It's got Katie Cassidy in it. She was like a popular scream queen in like the... Like eight years ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But yeah, things like that, I guess, where it's kind of like almost having fun with like tragedy yeah it's a little bit like why like you could just call this something else and use the same script and you don't need to be like with a Sharon Tate that is you know it's like you don't need to be calling this but I guess they want that money everyone's going to watch a film that's called The Haunting of Sharon Tate it's exploiting from the name yeah it's using someone's name to get people to watch a low quality movie that contributes nothing yeah whereas this film is kind of just depicting events that happened and that already on record is happening. So it's like, yeah. not, it's not really, you know, it's not like disclosing like any secrets or anything like that. No. So that's where like, and I called it a film, I think TV series, whatever. I mean, this, this series, are, yeah, yeah, this series is just kind of showing you what happened. And it, so I, I don't like, I understand I'd be uncomfortable if I was the family and I probably wouldn't want it being made, but like, it's, I mean, we can, I mean, it's funny that we're having this debate right now anyway, because our whole podcast is founded on doing... Yeah, we do this. I don't think think any family (laughs) of a victim that, you know, we have discussed in this podcast would be happy that two random people in Australia are talking about their death. Like, as in, I, I... if I was to legitimately put myself in their shoes, I would say that's an entirely justified perspective. Yeah, so it's an interesting debate, I guess, of like when is entertainment crossing the line? Yeah, into you know like an infringing on people's like a right to privacy. But and I, guess, I, I still think it's like a balancing, like as in it's it's never it's there's no simple rule to no. this. Well, I think my rule is just similar to what I'm saying about the show. It's like I guess we don't talk about things that aren't. Like, we don't, like, reach out to victims' families and try and get, like, secrets about what happened. No, we're not harassing and, families. And then, yes. like, I don't know, somehow trying to, like, romanticize that or... Well, so that's the other big criticism of this is the casting of Evan Peters and the potential that this is going to be, like, memifying or, like, valorizing a killer. Sure, but, like, Evan Peters kind of does look like Jeffrey Dahmer the way, and he... I don't really know what they. There's. I don't really have an answer to this. I well, I don't know. I part of me thinks that a bit of that is slightly moral panic, like it's slightly because there are those like weird Tumblr things where like they're, you know, they have like a dedication page. Oh yeah, to, we, like the school shoot. Like a, we used to have this obsessed Narcissus fan. Oh, no, sorry, an obsessed Richard Ramirez fan that we. we Maybe I interacted with them at some point, but they were on the... We were connected by Instagram, at least. Yeah. And she, like, had, like, that... She was actually in love with Richard. Yeah, so the, these things exist. Whether or not they're, like, representative enough of a trend, I feel like is a bit 
I don't know. I feel like panicky. if people were romanticizing a serial killer, it's not really like the show's fault, I think. No, people were writing letters to Jeffrey Dahmer in prison. People were doing marriage proposals to Jeffrey Dahmer in prison. Like, this is not new. No, I mean, if you think about even things like, this is going a bit off topic here, but like Fifty Shades of Grey, where people are like, I want Christian Grey to be like my lover. And yes. It's like, this is like some abusive, like depraved man. Yeah. And people kind of romanticize that, I guess, the darkness. I think it's when there's a hot person who has, like, yeah. a dark soul. And I mean, I've been guilty of this myself. But Look, in the, if, it, so, if it's a there. self-aware fan- fantasy, I'm kind of willing to let people go with it. Um, but, yeah, look, these the, the, some of the weird parts of online have this component. I don't know, because it was the same thing with the Zac Efron, Ted Bundy Movie. Well, I guess it's like when you're putting a Hollywood star as this killer. So you are, in a way, like, like you know, I guess you are romantic. You're, try- you're casting someone so who's like, a sex... So, I only cast ugly people. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think casting an overt sex symbol as a serial killer is kind of like tying these two things together and, like, is it appropriate? Okay. Yeah, so I wouldn't uh, say Evan Penis is a sex symbol. He's I don't sex- think he is either. For the horror community, he's a bit of an icon, I suppose. He's... Um, people were describing him as, like, a teen heartthrob, and I'm like... Really? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I mean, they tried. Hollywood tried to. He was in like Never Back Down, and he played Silver Surfer. But oh, I feel like it's yeah. only when he started being in Ryan Murphy things. I think he's the only actor that's been that, in everything. That has been in every. Maybe he wasn't in American Horror Story nineteen ninety four. I think he might have had a break that year. He was still watching these but fucking I think, show. <laughs> I think he was in. You know, he was like one of those regular Ryan Murphy people. Yeah. Um, and he definitely has a big fan base. Um, but Jeffrey Dahmer in real life, the whole reason that he was able to lure in victims is because he was perceived as attractive. So it's like yes. you can't cast In like, this like shy way. He yeah, was kind of, yeah. You can't really cast someone. But yeah, I guess it's tough when you, I think when you cast like the Zac Efron casting in the Ted Bundy movie, it's like you're casting someone whose career is almost built off being a sex symbol. Yeah. So but it's also like, Ted Bunny was an attractive man. But like then it, yeah. he also was able to use his charisma and good looks to lure victims. So it's Which, like, are we yeah. meant to cast like someone who's... Not, I don't know. It's 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 a tough debate. I yeah. I anyone that has this really definitive morals morally certain position on this stuff, I feel like is is full of shit, or is like is not taking into account. But what did you feel about the presentation of Dharma as a as an individual? Was not sympathetic because that that is my biggest thing with Dharma is that sometimes the true crime treatment of Jeffrey Dharma is overly sympathetic. He's viewed as this like tortured mm. guy. Where I don't think in the Netflix Dharma series he is viewed as a tortured guy. He's he's viewed as creepy. I think they definitely tried to portray that he had undergone trauma. With the, I mean, because he but, had a family but, but, background. But it's that is tough true. Because like, yeah, it's like you have to. Show, that is telling someone's story yeah. is relevant. But yeah, I mean, I I definitely think that like when victims were involved and stuff like that, they never tried to like make you root for like, it, there was never a vibe of like him like sobbing. Like I, I can't remember which there's been a couple of Dharma biopics, but like, I remember one, they did one where he was like sobbing throughout the murder. Um, and I'm like, he just wasn't that he, he viewed these people as a means to an end. Mm. Um, he didn't, he, he wasn't that troubled by it. He didn't enjoy killing because he was concerned with the body. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it was overly sympathetic. And I feel like the fact that people are disgusted by the depictions of the murder, rather than viewing that as a sign of it being sensationalist, I think that's a sign of it being good expression. Well, he's definitely portrayed as being an unsettling person. Yeah. But, but that's, uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting though, because yeah, people are like being like how hot is like, 
Evan Peters as Jeffrey Dahmer. But is that just weird teenage the, the, the culture? The Halloween though? costumes, etc. So the Halloween... Okay, we need to talk about the Halloween costumes because that's a weird thing because um, dressing up as Jeffrey Dahmer for Halloween has been such a normalised thing mm. for so long and now this year... This year it's a no. <laughs> this year eBay has taken Jeffrey Dahmer costumes off their site. Um, they've cited this policy like that they've never used up until now. You can still get Jack the Ripper and Lizzie Porter. You know what I mean? Like it's it's. So so... I, guess th- I guess the thing with Dharma is that it has happened in the last like forty years. Like it is sure. It is recent enough that like victims' families etc. are still alive. eBay so... still had an Osama bin Laden costume. I mean, no comment there. Um, but like Jack the Ripper and stuff because it's so far in history that no one has any direct. Sure. Like, you know, descendants the, that, the, or family members that were involved. The, the, the perversity of that thinking, though, is um, Dharma's family have had to deal with that for mm. fucking, what, 30 years, 20-something years or whatever it is. Um, no, maybe 30 years. Well, since he was a... Wasn't he arrested in 91? I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's over 30 years ago. Shit, I was like, oh, I was born in 92. It's not yeah, 30 I know. years. Oh, wait, we're, yes. we're old, Sam. We, we have are. to deal with that. Fuck. Um, so, they, they've had to deal with this shit for 30 years, and we're now this year being like, well, no, that's totally unacceptable. Like, I, that just seems really. Well, I guess it's stupid. It's partially due to, I guess, increased discourse because of the series. Yes, also, that's what I mean. It's also like a and People cultural... want to be scolds. But so it's they're... also a cultural thing where it's kind of like. You know, I can't, it's like the internet culture of, like, policing people. I mean, once again, I would never dress up as Jeffrey Dahmer. I think it's inappropriate. Yeah. But I wouldn't, like... Pri- I so- probably would have. If I was younger, I probably would have. We all make mistakes when we're young, Karen. <laughs> but, yeah, but I think a lot of it, too, is, like, a bit performative. Like, you cannot dress as a dollar. I, the, the thing is, I know that in three years' time, this is going to go away and people will be back doing it. But I do think it's good in a way that people are... There is an uproar, because I guess it is showing that, like, people are... Like, I don't are, trust that it's genuine. I just don't trust that it's genuine. I think I people think it, are going with the moment. I think it is important to discuss if certain things are appropriate, and I don't think it's necessarily appropriate to dress up as a serial killer yeah. from modern times that has you know, caused trauma to people and their families, intergenerational trauma. Maybe just a bit insensitive, particularly this year, because like these people have all had to relive what's happened to their family and friends, and then seeing people walking around like it's a joke. Yeah. Like, if I was attacked by someone, even if someone punched me in the face and I was traumatised by it, I wouldn't want to watch, walk past someone who's dressed as the person that punched me in but the face. But does that mean every episode that we've done of a recent killing is also highly inappropriate? We're ending the show, so it's fine. <laughs> well, I think the, the difference between a podcast and a Halloween costume is people can volunteer to listen to the podcast. If someone steps into the party or event, Fair yeah. event or space you're in dressed to something that traumatizes you, you can't escape it. People who listen yeah. to our podcast have to choose. Whereas if you are like on Facebook and see a photo of someone dressed up as Jeffrey Dahmer at a costume party or you're at a costume party, you're not choosing yeah, to yeah. interact with it. That's my, that's my read. I don't... I'd love to hear people's uh, yeah, I mean, thoughts what are, on this. What are people's takes on this? I, yeah, again, because I don't think I have a firm view. Uh, overall, though, I mean, I personally would recommend checking out this series with a proviso that it's a lot. Um, yes, and if you're not ready for that, it's like... Di- it's downbeat. Yes. That's I'm just so shocked it's so popular just because it is... I it, mean, I am a little bit as well because it's definitely the kind of horror that I like. I like eat, shit, and die real 
awful I, horror. I would get it if it was like five episodes, just just because it's so long winded. Yeah, and like it's there's, it's just like bleak. It is a bit too long. I'll still say I'll, it's I'll say bleak that. from the get go. Though it's not like something you could be like, oh, I rewatched Dharma. It was, you know what I mean? Like yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. just shocked that it's been. I guess people are very intrigued by. I guess this is the biggest scale serial killer series we've probably ever had. So maybe that's part of it too. Like it's like it is new. It's new to the general public. Should we move on to Hellraiser? Let's move on to something that's. Like we're going from it's fiction, a little bit lighter. From fiction to non-fiction. I mean, is it? I mean, okay, I. I actually don't think Hellraiser was dark enough for me. Beautiful, isn't it? It's really nice. You can hold it. What is it? It's a puzzle. And it's almost finished. Keep going. So if I solve it, do I get a prize? I do. Hellraiser 2022 is a recall slash reboot of the original Hellraiser, which was an adaptation of uh, Clive Barker's novel, The Hellbound Heart. Um, So this version is directed by David Bruckner, and they have about four different screenwriters, which is never a good sign for something. Uh, Sam, I think we're going to differ on this one. What did you think of How Re- Raise the 2022? I'm going to say that I enjoyed it in like a superficial way. Like I liked it, but it's not something that I'm going to like shake people and get them to watch. But yeah. I do think in terms of the Hellraiser franchise, which has gone... Has had some fucking terrible, yes. People make fun of Jason X for going to space. Hellraiser did that in part, did that in part four. So Yeah, and that was like, and it has... Um, but that went, it was like 1800s, space ends like present day, I think. So they were doing something different, I guess. But it's the guy from, it's the guy from the office. No, it's the guy from Parks and Rec. He's in that one as well. It's his very first role. Well, there you go. That's where all, all people start in a horror movie sequel. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. A random horror movie sequel. But I thought this one tied together, like, the themes quite well of, like, you know, vices and, like, how we'll, like how far we'll go to kind of, like, feed. I didn't think it was kinky enough. That was, So I, I – so I – this wasn't terrible. Uh, I will say that uh, Jamie Clayton uh, is quite good as the new Hell Priest slash Pinhead. Well, we can just call her Pinhead 2.0. Yeah. I think everyone's just calling her Pinhead. Which is not easy to do. Like, I don't know if you saw those Hellraiser versions where they had, like, the fat Pinhead is what I'm calling it. <laughs> I think there's only one without Doug Bradley, right? Was there two? There's two. There's two. I think, yeah, there's two different people and they didn't do a very good job. Isn't it weird that Doug Bradley is such an iconic Pinhead just due to the fact that Pinhead was never really the star of the Hellraiser oh. films? Not in the same way that, like, Freddy or Jason are. No, no. Like, Pinhead were just kind of, like, especially in the first film and the second yep. one as well pinhead just kind of like floated in and out pinhead probably is in like eight minutes of the first hellraiser do you know who was actually meant to continue on the franchise it was meant to be the wife julia the, yes one the she was evil like... wife was meant to be the one to take on the franchise and then the studio said no imagine the world in which we had julia well she was like owning it she was great she was... i love the first two hellraiser films they're like one of my more favorite films well i think the third one took on a different tone anyway so if julia had have stayed on i just it don't she probably would have regretted it 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure that actress did but other things. Hellraiser is an interesting franchise, though, because you don't really meet anybody who's like a diehard Hellraiser franchise I'm a de- fan. Oh, not a franchise fan. Okay, no, I, no, I would never I say that. I love the first Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2. Yeah. And Hellraiser 3 I quite enjoy. Yeah. But, like, you don't really meet anybody who's, like, a Hellraiser completist. Like, I love, like, all... I don't even know how many there are. Nine When does the nine lady, films? the weird woman Hellraiser comes in later? The, the, uh, the, and there's one where, like, the building is a giant puzzle. puzzle. I don't even know. <laughs> it, it gets weird. I think the thing is the Hellraiser films, the later ones weren't really made of much love. Like, I think no. a lot of them were made just to sell some videos and keep the IP probably in... I think to mention yeah. the rights to it. So, okay. So I, I think that this one, love the new Pinhead. That's great. And that's more in keeping with the Hellhound heart because it's um, the, the Hell Priest is described as being largely feminine, but gender ambiguous is the, mm. the description in the, the actual novella. Um, so I thought that was great. What I, I think they didn't do in this Hellraiser requel, though, is so okay the opening scene where we have i'm pretty sure he's meant to be like a rent boy right he's meant to be a rent boy yeah why wasn't there no like sex before the killing yeah he was just kind of hanging out at this orchard and he was like yeah but i'm here. like it felt really like restrained on like the point of hellraiser which is meant to be like you're attracted to the extremes of pleasure and that the extremes of pleasure include pain Whereas, yeah, I feel like this film was going for more of a, like, the extremes of pleasure are, like, excess and being there, which I think they're trying to go for more of a capitalist kind of narrative in, yeah, in yeah, this yeah. one, as opposed to, like, a psychosexual vibe, which the other films, even the costuming and stuff in the first was like bondage. Like, the whole thing was bondage. Yeah, whereas this one, it didn't really go there. It was, But it was about vices still. It was about addiction and addiction to wealth. And, yeah. You know, like, so I guess it was just trying to be a bit more, like, contemporary and mainstream, I guess. I didn't love the main actress, putting it out there. I uh, thought she was fine. Uh, her name is uh, Odessa Azion. Uh, she was just kind of there. Uh, there was a very hot... Her brother is played by a very hot actor. Yeah, well, he's getting real life. You is could, he? Oh, could, you can get on that. I've got a chance. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, and that dynamic bored the hell out of me. Now, see, I liked that dynamic. That's why I was kind of sad. Because it's not really a spoiler to say this, but basically it's about two siblings who have a troubled relationship and yeah. one of them suffers from addiction, the main character, Od- yeah. Odessa Azion. Mm. We're and probably saying that wrong. Probably. Sorry, <laughs> Odessa, uh, if I'm saying that right. Um, and her brother is kind of like her father. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes missing because of the Cenobites and she has to sort of search for him. Yeah. And, and I really liked the film when it was sort of like leaning into their relationship and riding on their relationship and their dynamic. I didn't find the supporting characters to be that exciting. The boyfriend, well, the boyfriend of the uh, guy, the brother, and then also her spoilers, 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 the guy who ends up actually being in on a plot yeah. to get her into the Hellraiser box to serve the rich man. What happened to the rich man? So. Are we going to go full spoilers? Yeah, we're going full spoilers. Okay. I mean, I guess it's been like, by the time this comes out, it'll be almost a month since the film Mainly because I think there's going to be a lot of people that have seen this movie that are listening to this that will want to know the yeah. details. So I, it was meant to be, like, the rich man was obsessed with, I guess, he was living an empty existence because he'd had everything that money could buy. Mm. And then once you unlock the puzzle box in these films, you get granted, like, an eternity of 
you get to pick like a subcategory of pleasure, I guess. I'm not explaining this very well. Was this well. always the case? I didn't remember no, it ever being. Yeah, I don't but, think so. But they were never genies. But he <laughs> he chose like I can't even remember what his choice was. Let's just say it was like. And so it became this little it was like, like ex- intestine. Yeah, it was like ex- excess or something. But as a result, they were showing him like the excess of pain. Yeah. So they he. He mm. had like this. They they had like put this gearbox inside him, which looked terrible. That kept on turning around. So that was, was not like, a good effect. Oh! Um, and you, well, yeah, debatable. And then <laughs> he was trying to get granted like a new. He was trying to make somebody else solve the puzzle box so that he could like reset things. But how doesn't he need access to the puzzle box to get another wish? Well, I suppose he was going to coerce them into doing making a wish in his favor. So, so guess, wait, so. I think, does that mean the rules of this are that you're cursed by the puzzle box? Wait, no, that doesn't make sense because several other people also got cursed by the puzzle box. No, so the puzzle box will grant you a wish, but you need to offer it seven sacrifices. I think that was the rule. Oh, I gotcha. And so he was then trying to get seven sacrifices via this girl. Yeah. Um, It's a bit convoluted when you... I don't think it actually makes sense the more you think about it. Basically, he was betting on this girl to steal the puzzle box from his empty mansion and, and then he'd sacrifice paid, seven people. Yes. And he'd paid the, her boyfriend to lead her into the house. Yeah. My friend actually said this really well. Um, the film's basically about the power of like being digmatized. Like this girl gets <laughs> digmatized yes, yes. by this hot guy into doing a fucked up thing for him and doesn't think but about like, okay, the consequences. If, if it lent more into that, I think it'd be for it. Like as in like we have one sex scene with them. No, it, oh, yeah, it, he fucks her really hard. But it, like, it seems largely desexualized as well, a film. Well, I think the reason that you didn't really vibe of it is because it did differ from, I guess, the subtext of the Hellbound Tart and the Hellraiser mythology is rooted in kind of like sex and bondage and like tab- and they're also, sexual taboos. They're also not like, they were very much depicted, the Cenobites were very much depicted in this as like, like clearly evil Yeah, they were creatures. kind of like Silent Hill monsters. So I think Which is not what the original... The original ones is that they're kind of ambiguous and that they are not... They're not trying to, like, trick you or anything like that. It's just that if you're wanting excess sensation, you need to take the whole package. Yeah. Um, and that's what they're offering. Well, I feel like this film was leaning less into sex and more just into, I guess... Torture the, porn? Well, I guess the notion of, like... You know, like, I guess in the society that we're currently living in, we have access to so much and we always want more. I think that the yeah. film is trying to talk about that. That, like, like even when we have everything, it's never enough. So, Have you heard of the version, um, I haven't got his name in front of me, the guy, the filmmaker who made Martyrs was offered at yeah. one point to make a Hellraiser reboot and he was going to set it in a gay leather bar. I didn't hear about the gay leather bar place, but I remember when him and his partner got the film. Yeah. And then it just didn't work out. And then, but it, this has been passed around since like 2008. Like, they've yeah. been trying to reboot Hellraiser for at least 15 years, I feel. Do you, do you know if it did well, like financially? Um, well, it, it was straight to Hulu, so we can't, oh, probably we can't not. know. Okay. I actually think this is worthy of being theatrical, to be honest. Yeah. I think I mean, it would people... have made 40 million or some, at something at least. I. So, one of the reasons I also I think you liked it um, is. It did remind me a lot of an early 2000s horror. And I think that the director, David Brooklyn, actually says that he was influenced by 90s horror. Yeah. Like well, there was an interview where he was questioned about it. Or, you know, like, so other people have seen this. Yeah. So it's very, I mean, I, I, I like, like, Scream and I like, like, you know, I like some aspects of that. 
Um, but yeah, there is a structure to that kind of horror film that it, this follows to a T, which the original Hellraiser didn't. The original Hellraiser is like weirdly like a like a melodrama. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not a it's well, not it's a teen horror film. No, well, I mean, like, I guess the main characters in the original Hellraiser are like middle aged, yeah, people plus I guess Christy, who's yeah. meant to be twenty one or something. But and in a, the book, is not actually his daughter is like an assistant who's in love with him. Oh, well, there yeah. you go. That's yeah. another dynamic to it. Yeah, I probably would have preferred that. Yeah, but yeah, I I, I mean, I just like this film essentially as a popcorn movie. Like I don't, think, it is. I don't yeah. think too much of it, but I think that like. The standards have become so low for anybody watching a Hellraiser film or anticipating a Hellraiser film that I just enjoy that this film was consistently dark in tone. I always enjoy themes like addiction and, you know, sibling dynamics and stuff like that. So I was like engrossed in it but i wasn't like like i don't feel like i need to rewatch it would it be a good anytime sitting on the couch with friends movie and there were some good like jump scenes and good like i it, in some ways it kind of reminds me of a nightmare on elm street movie yeah yeah because yeah. they were like there was like that dream sequence where yeah. the, the hot brother gets like stabbed to the chains yeah and, you know yeah i feel like i had a good atmosphere i feel like david brookner based off other films that he's made and other content he's been involved in obviously knows how to create like an atmospheric kind of horror thriller yeah um, and i felt like yeah he was definitely very competent here and doing he got the job done i yeah so i even though it wasn't for me i'd say check it out if you like if you like early 2000s late 90s horror check it out i'd well, say and if you if you like the hellraiser films i think fans are saying it's definitely like the best hellraiser film that they've had in like 15 years yes. at least so i would love for clive barker to come back but i don't think that's ever going to happen i feel like he might be pissy i feel like he might not be interested I think well definitely... yeah I mean, think he's about... a bit of an artsy man like you know what i mean like i think he would if he was going to make another hellraiser film i think he would make like an art house style horror not a yeah well i feel like he didn't want to be when i say he was pissy i feel like he... I've read something he didn't want to be involved or like his probably, I mean, he's probably I mean, annoyed his, that his, his, I think he's signed over the rights to it at some point. But how annoyed would you be if you like signed the rights to your like novella over and a quality film was made? Yeah. And then eventually it just becomes this like straight to video like franchise be... that's kind of just known for being bad. Yeah. And you know, is yeah, it's just a cash cow for somebody else. Oh, so yeah. So on that note, I would say uh, see the latest Hellraiser and uh, let's make Hellraiser great again. Jesus, wept. wept. <laughs> yes, well done. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Sinister Sissies podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Sinister Sissies for the time being. It may not be around for much longer. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram at Sinister underscore Sissies. Uh, We do have a Patreon, but it's closing soon, so I won't promote that. Until next time, which will be the final time, stay sinister. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.